Hello everyone, PJ Thumb here. We filmed the following video on the 28th of January 2020, which feels like a, a lifetime ago. And shortly after we finished editing the following video, the coronavirus became a thing. So we shelved the video thinking that we wouldn't screen it for months. But yet here we are today, taking it off the shelf. We're huddling in our homes, we're practicing social distancing and yet somehow the PAP government thinks it's a good idea to hold an election. The term of the 13th parliament will end on the 14th of January 2021. An election must be held within three months of that, which means on or before the 14th of April 2021. The longer we wait, the more unpredictable, difficult and dangerous it could be. Or the longer we wait, the safer it could be. You don't know, we don't know, nobody knows. But we do know it is dangerous right now. But set aside, you know, whether you think the elections should be now or later, I think your opinion of that depends on your own personal values and where you stand in society. What is really funny to me is that Theo is acting as if the PAP has no control over the situation at all. Compounding this will be the uncertainty that comes with when the election will be held. You do realise that it is the Prime Minister who decides when an election is held, right? Lee Sien Long is sitting right behind you. Just turn around and ask him. All we need to do is for the Prime Minister to come out and clearly state that the election is not going to be held until January and then all this uncertainty would just go away. Problem solved. I've sought the advice of the Attorney General's Chambers on whether this can be done. The advice of the AGC is that to delay an election beyond the required date in such a manner is unconstitutional. The PAP government has changed the constitution around 50 times since 1965. And yet, now, when faced with something they don't want to do, suddenly they're like, oh, it's unconstitutional. In the history of Singapore, it's clearly established that Parliament is the supreme authority in the land. And if Parliament wants to do something, they can simply pass a law, change the constitution and then pass a law. And the PAP controls 93% of the seats in Parliament, so they can do whatever they want. But. The funniest thing for me was the bit where Theo uses that old excuse of Oh, but other people are doing it, what? We will learn from the experiences of other countries that are holding elections even during this ongoing COVID-19 outbreak. Really? Is that excuse again? Oh, other countries are doing it, so we should do it too. It's not just a stupid excuse, the problem is almost all the other countries with elections are postponing those elections. Here, let me read you a list. United States, Austria, France and South Africa, Falkland Islands, Peru, Tunisia, Nigeria, Maldives, Armenia, North Macedonia too, Argentina, Colombia, Sri Lanka and Syria, England, Brazil and Russia. Tanzania, Somalia, Kenya and Mali, Sierra Leone and Algeria, Dahomey, Namibia, Senegal, Libya, Cameroon, Congo, Zaire, Ethiopia, Guinea, Bissau, Madagascar, Rwanda, Mayor and Cayman, Hong Kong, Abu Dhabi, Qatar, Yugoslavia. Kyrgyzstan, Italy, Switzerland, Paraguay, Northern Cyprus, Bolivia, don't forget Serbia and Chile and Spain and Iran. 
Anyway, enjoy the following video. Don't forget to practice social distancing, wash your hands, and stay safe, everyone. Thank you for joining us. A lot has happened since the pilot episode. For example, when we shot the pilot episode, Robert Mugabe was still in power in Zimbabwe, but he has since been ousted and he passed away in Singapore. One reason why he was ousted was because he appointed his wife to positions of power, causing accusations of nepotism and great resentment. And she was not held accountable even when she had severe failures. Another reason was that Mugabe's people mismanaged Zimbabwe through numerous economic disasters, but somehow managed to stay in post despite their incredibly poor performance. One way in which Mugabe stayed in power was by rigging elections. For example, in many elections, opposition candidates were intimidated or disqualified from standing. Thank goodness that we don't have such things in Singapore. With the impending elections in Singapore and the huge response to my first episode, I want to talk more about Singapore's elections. More broadly, I want to talk about this 70-30 discourse where the 30% of people who voted against the People's Action Party in the 2015 general election bitterly complain about the 70% of people who voted for the PAP. This is really divisive, but more importantly, it blames the wrong people. The key to understanding Singapore's elections is actually very simple. It can be summarized in one sentence. You ready? Here it comes. Singapore's elections are extremely unfair. Singapore is not a democracy. Our elections are free but extremely unfair, so you cannot assume that an election result reflects the popular will in Singapore. The way elections are designed, most people have no choice but to vote for the PAP. Let me explain what I mean by starting with an election in a small Massachusetts city called Fall River in the USA that took place last year. In October 2018, Fall River's mayor, Jaziel Correa, was arrested on charges of defrauding investors and falsifying tax returns. Correa contested the charges and refused to step down. So some citizens of Fall River got enough signatures to force a recall election, which was held this last March. A stunning end to a special election. Today, residents voted to recall Mayor Jaisal Correa and re-elect him as the city's mayor. The mayor was crushed in the election. About 61% voted to remove him from office. Only 4,911 people, or 38%, voted to keep him in office. It was a clear, popular mandate. But there was a twist. The ballot had two questions. The first asked whether to recall Correa. The second question 
asked who should replace him. Five people ran to fill the mayor's seat, including Correa. Mr. Correa received 4,808 votes in the balloting on who should be the next mayor, almost exactly the number he had gotten on the recall question. But the other four candidates split the rest of the vote, so he had the most votes. He won! Voters were asked to decide two things. First, if they want to recall Mayor Correa, who's facing several federal fraud charges. Then they voted on who they'd like to be the city's mayor. So even though they voted to oust Correa, he still received the most votes to be re-elected. Yes, that's right. The same election that removed Mr. Correa with a clear 60% of the votes also returned him to office because he had the most votes. The election delivered two clear messages. We want Korea out of office. And we want Korea back in office. What does this tell us about elections? Well, elections are supposed to tell us what the popular will is. But how you design an election can shape the outcome just as much as the actual choices made by voters, sometimes more. Or to put it in a way every Singaporean will understand, elections are like exams. They test what you design them to test. And in Singapore, the party who designs the exam, who sets the syllabus being tested, who chooses the questions, is also the party who does by far the best at the exam. Can you imagine if when you go take your PSL, your N-levels, O-levels, A-levels, the student competing with you is also the person who set the exam? Would we be surprised if they then get top marks? Would you say that it is fair? No! But that's how Singapore's elections are designed. The PAP designed the elections to maximize the number of votes for the PAP. And so our electoral system is deeply, deeply unfair. But the purpose of an election is to hold the governing party to judgment and allow voters to select the best available plan for the next five years. That's how the PAP claims legitimacy for all its actions, by winning elections. As Lee Kuan Yew told an interviewer in 1988, I have been in office for now 29 years. I have won seven general elections since my first in 1959. I think that qualifies me at least to be able to say that I do know Singapore better than the questioner. But you never won a free and fair election, Mr. Lee. Let me explain. First, let's start with the basics. How does Singapore's electoral system work? Well, in Singapore's parliamentary representative system, like with many others, citizens vote in elections for their members of parliament. Under the first-past-the-post system, the winner of each constituency is the person or group with the highest number of votes. A majority of votes is not needed. The political party that secures the majority of parliamentary seats forms the government. Okay, so far so good. But within that framework of elections, authoritarian governments have made many, many innovations about how to evade accountability for their actions and keep themselves in power. And Lee Kuan Yew was no different. We start with the most obvious one, and that's gerrymandering. That's when you draw constituency boundaries by choosing which voters to include in it so as to heavily favour certain outcomes. And I know the PAP has said, hey, gerrymandering exists in many countries, not just in Singapore. Let me say that that's a facile argument. 
first, just because other countries do it doesn't mean it is right. We all agree that elections should be fair, so why tolerate gerrymandering? And second, if you're going to do things because other countries do them, then, well, other countries also have democracy and human rights, so why not adopt the good things that they have instead of the bad things? We all agree elections should be fair. And to make them fair, constituencies are supposed to be based upon representing natural communities with shared interests, or administrative units, or geographic features. And we used to do it that way. In 1958, the report of the All-Party Committee for the Delimitation of Legislative Assembly Electoral Division stated, as voters are not mere units in a mathematical calculation, but men and women sharing and bound by the common interests of their community, of their neighbours, consideration must be given to identity of interest, either in the local community and its services as the focus of the pattern of their lives, or in the occupation followed by the majority. Villages should not, therefore, if it can be avoided, be divided between two or more electoral divisions. And similarly, villages without common interests should not be forced together. One of the four politicians who signed that report was the PAP's chairman, Dr. To Chin Chai. So, it should make sense why a constituency exists. But in Singapore, constituencies seem to be huge Frankenstein monsters, stitched together with no discernible purpose, other than to confuse us and make us doubt our own sanity. Kind of like the movie Cats. Take for example Sengkang. It's a relatively compact HDB town with clear borders and had just over 100,000 electors in 2015. That is the average size of a four-member group representation constituency, but instead of being a single constituency, Sengkang town is split into four constituencies. Ang Mo Kyo, Pasiris Pongo, Sengkang West and Pongo East. That makes no sense. That endlessly complicates all the planning and public services. Conversely, Marine, Marine Parade GRC is a mega constituency of 146,000 that stretches from the sea at East Coast Park to Serangoon Gardens in the centre of Singapore, cutting across six URA planning areas but not including any one of them in their entirety. Look at that map. All six colours are shared with other constituencies. It also includes different parts of four HDB towns and estates, Serangoon, Geylang, Bedok, and Marine Parade itself. It's not alone. Many HDB towns today are split into multiple constituencies and hence into different town councils. This is clearly inefficient and makes it more difficult for planning or for town councils to properly serve their residents. It's all because constituencies are not drawn on the basis of common sense, but rather appear to be drawn on the basis of trying to create as many safe seats for the PAP as possible. So, it's like taking an exam where you are told which chapters in the textbook to study, but then the exam turns out to be on other chapters, which were chosen by the other student. The same student who designed and set the exam. The bigger problem here is that the Elections Department of Singapore is under the Prime Minister's office. It is not an independent institution and it conducts its deliberations in secret. So it doesn't need to justify any of its decisions. In the past, electoral boundaries were at least publicly debated and voted in Parliament. 
But from 1988, the PAP changed the law to allow the Electoral Boundaries Review Committee to simply change the boundaries to whatever they think works best. People argue about whether this committee is neutral or not. But that's beside the point. This committee does not get to do whatever it wants. It has to stick strictly to the brief given to them by the Prime Minister. Under the law, it's the Prime Minister who declares what the boundaries will be. The committee's job is to just carry out his or her instructions and also take the blame away from him. The PM, if he wanted, could and should have fair, logical boundaries. Now, I wonder what happened in the early 1980s to cause all this blatant gerrymandering. Yes, it is no coincidence that this happened after opposition parties started winning seats in the early 1980s. So when it comes to drawing the constituency boundaries, there is no oversight. Under the law, the PM just tells us what the boundaries are. He doesn't even justify the decisions. The result is all this purposeful insanity. In 2015, 20% of voters, one in five, woke up in a different constituency from 2011. You thus have crazy boundaries like for Marine Parade or Tanjong Paga, both of which, as you can tell from the names, are seaside constituencies, yet somehow extend all the way into the middle of Singapore. This was Tanjong Paga before gerrymandering. But you look at the last election, Tanjong Paga stretched all the way into Bukit Timah. Or the Kaki Bukit neighbourhood in Badok was moved from Eunos GRC in 1988 to East Coast in 1997, to Marine Parade in 2006, and then to Aljunit GRC in 2011. The best illustration, I think, is this huge constituency, Momin Kalang, which did not exist in 2006, but was then created for 2011, and then broken up in 2015 and divided between its surrounding constituencies. This meant that for several opposition parties, their hard work walking the ground, getting to know residents over the past four years, was thrown out the window because their constituency suddenly disappeared. This happened, for example, to Yi Jianzhong in Juchet, which was folded into Marine Parade. Or some found that their constituency now included a large new area they had never been to, such as the new Marsiling UT constituency, created from bits of Chua Chu Kang and Simbawang constituencies. The opposition Singapore Democratic Party had been walking the ground in Simbawang but now suddenly had to fight an election in Marsiling UT, where they had no presence. And speaking of Marsiling UT, they are supposed to have four MPs, but appear to have misplaced one of them since 2018. If you'd like to know more about this, check out episode one of the show with PJ Thumb. For those of the audience who are not Singaporean, you're probably wondering why a constituency has four members of parliament. And this brings us to our next problem, group representation constituencies. In these constituencies, a slate of politicians are elected. Their creation in 1988 raised barriers for the opposition to contest constituencies. So instead of one brave opposition politician, now you need three or four or five or even six the government argued the GRCs are actually to ensure minority race representation in parliament. But there's two problems with that. First, in the 1950s and 60s, parliament was far more diverse. We checked and using the name of the MP as a rough indicator of race, uh, 
parliament was over 30%, even over 40% minorities. You can see from the graph that a lack of representation was actually a product of PAP one-party rule. Which means if the PAP wanted a more diverse parliament, all it actually had to do was to run more minority candidates. There was no need for all this GRC nonsense. Furthermore, in recent years, PAP minority candidates have had no problem winning in single-member constituencies, like for example, Michael Palmer in Pongol East, or Murali Pillai in Bukit Batok. Effectively, the message the PAP are sending are that, first, minority candidates cannot win on their own because, second, Singaporeans are stupid and racist, which is such a horrible, condescending thing to imply. So, it's not really about race. The more important effect of this system is that by narrowing the number of constituencies to just 29 and then strategically deploying its strongest candidates in GRCs, the PAP can spread their best candidates around and bring in weaker candidates on the coattails of a strong candidate. Let me demonstrate. Quick, name me the other four members of Jurong GRC apart from Taman. You can't, can you? Their names are Fong Chion, Lim Suwei, Sarah Ismail, and Lim Yisin. Except they're not! Their names actually are Ang Wei Neng, Desmond Lee, Rahayu Mazam, and Tan Wu Meng. But you don't know that for sure, do you? You're looking it up on Wikipedia right now. Because it doesn't matter who they actually are. We're all voting for Thaman. You know it, I know it. He could run with with four of those creepy mannequins with the, the big laugh, and he would still win. So you see... Sorry, can we get that down? It's really creeping me out. Thanks. Uh, so you see how this is really unfair. Imagine that in order to sit for your exams, you have to bring in three to five friends with you, at least one of whom must be a minority, and the other student is rich and has no problem getting friends, but you, he tells everyone to stay away from you. And the chapters you are told to study are the wrong chapters, and the paper actually tests chapters chosen by the other student, who was also the one who designed and set the exam. The last problem I want to talk about today is one of timing. Under the constitution, the government controls the timing of elections. It must call an election after five years, but can call an election at any time before then. And it controls how long the election period is. And here is where the ruling party again blatantly acts for its own benefit. Our elections are run with the legal minimum of time for an election. The Parliamentary Elections Act says elections need to be between 10 and 56 days long. And in the 1950s and 1968, the campaign period was as long as six weeks. But since 1972, every election has been at or near the absolute minimum of 10 days. Worse, under the cooling off day rules introduced in 2010, there is no campaigning on the 10th day. So our elections are now only 9 days long. 9 days! Other countries around us take longer. Malaysia's last election was already considered insanely short at 11 days, while the Philippines took 3 months and Indonesia took 6 months. No wonder they say Singaporeans got no stamina. If the point of elections are to pass judgment on a government's record, 
and also to choose between different parties and their manifestos and their proposed plans for the next five years, then voters need time. Time to consider all the parties, their values, their positions. Time to think, listen to speeches, attend talks, discussions, read, discuss. Parties cannot formally campaign before the elections start, so every party except the governing party is denied valuable space and time in the newspapers, TV and radio. But in such a rush, there is no time for voters to learn about the opposition parties. So after nine days, having had very little time to learn about the other parties, many are inclined to stick with the devil they know and vote for the PAP. Furthermore, parties cannot begin preparing until the election is actually called which means there is a massive last-minute scramble to put all their materials together, find printers for their materials, find volunteers, election agents, counting agents, organize rallies, get equipment. This is a massive logistical exercise that costs a lot of money. And they basically only have around four to five working days to do it. But the PAP as the government knows when elections will be, and as the government, they already have all these things in place as part of their normal activity of government. In 1962, Lee Kuan Yew started campaigning one year before the election was called. He could do this because he did not say he was campaigning. Instead, as Prime Minister, he said he was doing a national tour to listen to the people. But he was totally campaigning. And so the government can pick and choose when to hold the elections, prepare in advance, and time it for when it is most advantageous to them and least advantageous to the other parties. Imagine sitting for your exams with only around nine days to prepare while your classmate gets five years to prepare. And then he gets to pick the day of the exam and he picks a day where he is free, but you have a big family dinner or a very important sports meet. And you have to bring three friends, one of whom must be a minority. And the chapters you are told to study are the wrong chapters, and the paper actually tests chapters chosen by the other student, who is the same student who was the one who designed and set the exam. Is this fair? No! But wait, there's more. Next week, I'll talk about qualitative factors like the fear of voting against the government, stemming from lawsuits and arrests, depriving opposition wards of public services, and an extremely slanted media environment. Before we go, I want to make clear that I welcome debate. So I would like to extend an invitation to every member of parliament watching this video to come on this show for a discussion. Yes, all of them, even, I don't know, Mr. Ang Wei Neng in Jurong GRC. I, I don't actually know what he looks like. Do we have a photo? Jeez, I thought I told you to get rid of that. Okay, thanks. Anyway, we invite any MP from any party to come on this show and have an honest conversation with me about Singapore. My email's right here. Email me. And if you'd like to know more, please check out newnarrative.com where we have articles which go into greater detail about the elections and how they are designed. See you next time. Hello, this is Grouchy the Malayan Sunbear. Thank you very much for watching. If you enjoyed this video, please like and subscribe and please share with your friends. Also, please help us make more by becoming a member of New Narrative. It's only 52 US dollars a year or 5 US dollars a month. Imagine how much honey you could buy with that. Learn more about us 
at newnarrative.com slash hello. Thank you very much.